Welcome to Giraffe Tango Octopus, Freedom for Humans with Kirsten Johansson. Kirsten and her guests are here to help you stop struggling with your own self-acceptance and teach you how to love yourself unconditionally. Now, here's Kirsten. Welcome to GTO Freedom for Humans, where we talk about the ways in which we as humans can free ourselves from suffering by practicing unconditional love, acceptance, and compassion for ourselves. I'm Kirsten Johansson, your host, and I have a very fun show for you today. Um, I've mentioned this a couple of times leading up to the show, and you know, I talk uh, quite a lot about my own journey from um, self-hate and perfectionism and all the changes that I made in my life. And one of the things that I did during that process was I read and listened to quite a number of books. And one of the awesome things about this show is that I've gotten to actually interview some of the authors that wrote those books that really helped me to change my life. And so I get to do that again today with um, our special guest, Meadow DeVore. Welcome, Meadow. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Thanks for coming on. I'm just going to tell everybody um, a little bit about, about you. Meadow DeVore is a self-development teacher with a modern approach to spirituality, money, and personal growth. Since 2007, she has led courses, trainings, and retreats both online and throughout the United States. She's the author of The Worthy Project and Money Love, a guide to changing the way you think about money, and has had the pleasure of being a guest on The Oprah Winfrey Show. She speaks, writes, and teaches extensively on how our relationship to life itself is an exact reflection of our deepest held beliefs about our own worth. She lives with her husband in Big Sur, California. And we were just chatting before the show, you actually live um, with your husband in Big Sur in a yurt. Yes, I live in a yurt and it's raining. So you might hear that in the background a little bit because it's it's pretty loud when it rains. <laughs> Well, so Meadow is in Big Sur in a yurt, and I'm um, partway across the world in Malta. Um, and so those are the wonders of uh, technology that we get to do this show that way. Um, so Meadow, thank you again so much for coming on. Um, I I was telling you a little bit that I, um, in 2020, really, um, kind of right toward the beginning of the pandemic, I had left a long-term relationship and um, much of what you write about in your in your books that we're going to talk about today were very much present in that relationship in terms of my <laughs> in terms of my worthiness or worthlessness um is really mm -hmm. the, the more apt description and um you know i had poured everything really into it and denied myself in favor of the other person and you know, tried to be the perfect partner and the perfect woman and and all of the things so that I I wouldn't get left and I wouldn't get betrayed and that I, you know, would be accepted. And, and that was, you know, as you talk about, and we're going to talk about more, that's not the way to acceptance. No, you can't disappear yourself and hope to gain worthiness. It doesn't work. I tried it. If it worked, I would have done it. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Me too. And as I was doing all of that, which I didn't understand at the time was self-denial, as I was doing all that self-denial and sort of putting my all into being what 
you know, the other person wanted me to be. I kept thinking that I, that I was sort of, you know, serving the end goal, which was to have this wonderful long-term relationship that would go well into the future. I know. I, I did the same thing. I, I tried so hard and thought, oh, if I'm just better at this or prettier or thinner or more successful, then, then he'll love me. Then he'll see that I'm worth something missing the entire point. Exactly. Exactly. Wanting so much to just be accepted, just be accepted. But when you're, when you're really denying your true self in yeah. hopes of being loved, um, I think you can't really be loved that way, right? No, you can't be accepted if you're not presenting yourself. I, I mean, at, at base definition, you're, you can't be accepted if you're pretending to be something else, right? So the best that could happen there is that your pretend self is accepted. And that's what it feels like. It feels like you're never quite you're never quite good enough. That's that feeling that you're getting because you're you're putting forward this kind of alter ego or this idea or this idealized self is what I talk about in the book a lot. Um, yes. And 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 you're selling that instead of selling yourself or holding strong to who you are. Exactly. Exactly. And it's exhausting. And it, <laughs> and it feels like, surely this is gonna, surely this is gonna get me where I want to go. Right. And so when I ultimately was betrayed, and I was left after, mm. you know, 14 years of just trying so hard to be the right partner, the the pretty one, mm -hmm. the thin one, the smart one, the helpful one, you know, the, the, mm -hmm. the, the right sexual partner, which was super important to this particular person when I was then, um, betrayed and left. Um, it, it actually, you know, one of the things you talk about in the worthy mind is the lost mm -hmm. self. And mm -hmm. I found myself, um, just sit, sitting with myself and and knowing that I was at the heart of whatever was had happened, you know, even though, right. of course, we focus on the other person when we're in that situation, mm -hmm. I just was aware that there was something about this that was really me. Um, but I also looked inside of myself at that time and I saw complete darkness, complete empty darkness. I, I recognize nothing of myself. And I wondered if we might just sort when of you talk look about back on, the lost self. Yeah. yeah. Uh, when you look back on who you were in that relationship or who you are now? Well, um, it, so kind of neither. So the mm. who I was in the relationship was looked looked great right everything looked mm -hmm. great and i really was trying to just perform to the best of my ability mm -hmm. so i could have this relationship and make this person happy and then when you know that didn't really work out um i i felt just completely devastated and it was at that point when mm. all of my work and my effort and what i thought was my my true self but was actually my idealized image right what I mm -hmm. thought was my true self, I, I just, I felt like I, there was nothing left of me once it was gone and 
Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it's going to feel like that because you haven't had, you don't have a relationship with that part of you. I didn't. So it, it, it's like I, I talk about it often going, you know, you know what the role is supposed to do. You know what the mother or the wife or the, or the good student or the good daughter, you know those roles and how they're supposed to perform. And so you do the performance of that role, always missing out on who am I really and what did I actually want. And I mean, I was, I talk about it in the more than mind. I had no idea who I was when I got a divorce. I didn't know what I wanted to watch on TV. I didn't know what I wanted to eat. I mean, all I knew was everything that I had done in, in that role. I knew the right thing for the people around me. Not, I had no idea my own answers there. Exactly. And so it was about a year later that um, I came across The Worthy Project. And oh, so I had, been doing, I had been doing my work um, mm-hmm. for, for a while. However... When I encountered your book and started listening to it, first of all, um, your books are just packed with such useful, practical, easily digestible information and wonderful examples, not only from your own life, but also from your clients' lives. So they just are so easy to listen to. and, And I just, from the moment that I started listening my brain kind of exploded, particularly <laughs> because I was over, I was overspending, uh, as you might have, as yeah. you might be picking up, uh-huh. I was an overspender. <laughs> Most um, people are. <laughs> right. Um, and so let's talk a little bit about the concept of overspending, because one of the things you talk about in the beginning of the book is that self-worth and financial net worth are built similarly. Mm-hmm. But when you talk about spending and overspending, we're talking about more than money, right? Oh, absolutely. Well, first of all, thank you for saying that about my books. That's very nice. And and that means a lot. Writing books is a very lonely uh, occupation. And, and then it just goes out into the universe. And it's, it's nice to know that it has landed on kind ears. So thank you. Um, and so, yeah, my, my original work in coaching or self-development was, uh, came out of the 2008-2009 real estate crisis. That's when I went through my divorce. That's when I lost all my money. I found myself in crazy amounts of debt and I needed to provide for a little girl. So uh, that was me, single mom, 35 years old. So I taught those concepts for a long time, but at the center of, I, I, I could never get too, this underlying feeling of something's wrong with me or I'm not good enough. Mm -hmm. And even though I got my money under control and I kind of understood like the emotional or spiritual relationship to money and how that all happened, I just started to see patterns like, well, I'm something else is happening here. And it's like, I think what if money was just the symptom and what if my failed relationship was a symptom and what if other things and what if my physical health is a symptom what if it's all symptoms of the same problem so i started looking at it through that way and thought well if i could teach self-worth if i could figure this out for myself which i was desperate to do Mm -hmm. um, and i could just teach it in basic terms of money 
would that work? And so that's what I, I started to work on for, I don't know, when, I, when I'm thinking about new concepts, I usually run them by my classes or talk it through on podcasts or whatever. So I did that for a long time. And then I was like, no, I think I'm onto something. This is good because I can see it clicking, not only for me, but people that hear it. So, so you build net worth of money by spending less and earning more. That is just basic math. Right, exactly. <laughs> you spend <laughs> less than you earn and you gain net worth. Exactly. Uh, and so in terms of self-worth, that the Worthy Project book is all about uh, spending less self and earning back more self, which is a weird concept. But what I mean by self is is the resources that you actually own, which are time, energy, health, mental wellness. Um, I mean, there's so many resources beyond, and, and also finances. But if you see yourself as spending those resources to try to make somebody else happy or whatever, you start actually lowering your worth. You, you start going into debt and just like payoffing, payoffing, <laughs> paying off debt, mm -hmm. you have to uh, really limit your spending and get really clear on what you're doing in order to get back out of that hole. And that's, that's what I found to be really useful. Well, you know, understanding because the the equation of that um, was so helpful to me, because when I started when I started listening to your book, I had, again, done quite a bit of work um, in terms of some personal areas of my life, but I was way overspending it in, in my job at that time. And mm -hmm. it had nothing to do with my salary. My salary was plenty. My salary was mm -hmm. fine and supported me and gave me extra. But I was doing this thing where um, I, I, you know, I had an East Coast team and a West Coast team. And so, you know, I'd work a pretty long day. I'd wake up and wanted to make sure that my East Coast people, I was on the West Coast at the time, you know, that I didn't have let them languish too long. And it was in mm -hmm. healthcare administration. So, you know, we had patients to see and all that stuff. Um, and I had a, a very much a strong accountability um, in my job. Mm. But I found myself, um, you know, as there were problems going on and as the pandemic progressed, I think all organizations had issues and problems and certainly in healthcare. Um, and so I would finish my long day and then I would go over to the window where I could look at my trees and I would sit in my little chair and put my feet in a shiatsu foot massager and then tax my brain to try to figure out what to do about these other issues that I was seeing that were not, they were not in my real purview. Like mm -hmm. they were not my accountability. And so um, I, you know, I started listening to your book and I thought, oh my God, I am way overspending here. Yes. Yes. Beyond even, yeah. So overspending means you're giving away resources that you cannot afford. And it means you're not sustaining your resources. And it means that you're depleting your worth. It's pretty powerful when you start to look at it that way. It's it's very powerful. It is very powerful because, you know, it, money is pretty concrete, right? And we kind of, mm -hmm. even though we all, many of us struggle with money. So even though it's concrete and, you know, the, the spending and the earning should be pretty clear and make sense, we still struggle, right? 
And, mm-hmm. and then when you start to apply it to things that are not so concrete, like your like your energy or your mm-hmm. emotions or your time or your worry. Yeah. Or your worry. Exactly. That's where you kind of start to get into, well, who who am I really? And why am I doing all of these things? And what happens if I start to not want to do these things anymore? Yeah. And were you afraid? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, we do it because we're afraid that we won't be loved or accepted or included anymore. So we do. We overspend thinking that's going to get us the good stuff. Exactly. Yes, exactly. Um, I was very, yeah, I was very fear-based. I would not have, interestingly, in in those years, I would not, if somebody said, are you a fearful person? I would have said, mm. well, no, because I was very tough. I was very sort of tough and soldier-like. Um, mm. And so I, I would not have identified myself that way, but I did very much function from a place of fear of not being accepted ultimately. And so I just felt like I had to do a million and one things in order to be good enough to be loved and accepted. And of course I wanted to be accepted for my real self, but I wasn't showing my real self. And ultimately I I didn't accept myself. I know, me neither. (laughs) Right, I was too. Yeah, Mm -hmm. this idea that, that we want other people to accept us when we have not really kind of cracked the code on accepting ourselves is it can make us just try so hard for so long, but never really get what we're looking for. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you said it, you're performing. It's like you're walking around in costume, wanting people to not see the costume. It's like, well, they can't. You, you're you the one that has to take it off. You have to learn how. You, you need to learn who's underneath all that. That's not exactly. easy. That's no. difficult and important. Yes, exactly. Well, let's. Um, we're going to take a quick break and when we come back, let's talk about that. Um, you're okay. listening to Freedom for Humans, and we'll be back with Meadow DeVoer. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you tired of overeating, overspending, drinking too much, or being in relationships that drain you? Do you have invasive thoughts that make you feel bad about yourself and your life? Do you keep pushing yourself to the next goal only to find that it doesn't bring you happiness? You don't have to live this way. You can live a life of well-deserved freedom and happiness. Coach Kirsten Johansson is here to guide you. Book your free discovery session today at giraffetangooctopus.com. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Are you tired of overeating, overspending, drinking too much, or being in relationships that drain you? Do you have invasive thoughts that make you feel bad about yourself and your life? Do you keep pushing yourself to the next goal only to find that it doesn't bring you happiness? You don't have to live this way. 
you can live a life of well-deserved freedom and happiness. Coach Kirsten Johansson is here to guide you. Book your free discovery session today at GiraffeTangoOctopus.com. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Giraffe Tango Octopus, Freedom for Humans. Have your own story or have questions for Kirsten or her guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5788. That's 866-472-5788. Now back to the show. Welcome back to Freedom for Humans. This is Kirsten, your host, and we're back with Meadow DeBoer. Before the break, we started to talk about the idealized image. And in addition to the the spending and earning equation, when you mm. broke down the idealized image, I it, I felt like oh uh, I mean it was it was a, a massive epiphany about the difference between the idealized image and the real self. And so I would love to talk a little bit more about that. Sure. Uh I I always thought that the idealized image was who I was supposed to be, if that makes sense. Me too. I, that that better, faster, more, smarter, thinner, prettier, younger, funnier, all those, right? Yes. So it's like I'm, I'm always trying to lean toward that better version and present that better version. And I didn't realize that better version didn't exist that's actually not me because it can't <laughs> you can't you can't be something that can't exist yet right so i'm always right. trying to chase this fantasy self that's better like even even in the future like oh this future self she's going to be so good at all these different things and and so i'm just going to present to the world and to my own self like that's who i am um so yeah idealized image is it's easy to get confused with a goal and goals are not bad. Um, and it's, it's easy to get confused with who you want to be wanting to be something else or better or improve something is not bad. It's when you value that image more than who you are today that you get into trouble. And so, like I was saying, it's kind of like wearing a costume. So if you think the costume is more you than the real you, you're in trouble. And the costume was this idealized, better, better version of myself. And what that, what that does is it perpetually gives you this feeling of not being able to measure up. Like you're actually creating that feeling of insecurity, shame. And I, I call it worthlessness just... It, which is a strong word, but it's like degrees of worthlessness that I was always trying to run away from. But because I was trying to run away, I was always recreating. Exactly. And I mean, I kind of, I tend to either call it that or I call it self-hate, which also can sometimes sound extreme, mm -hmm. but it really is just that it is the denial of the true you in favor mm -hmm. of the sort of the image of you that is usually to to try to gain acceptance, which doesn't actually work. Right. Yeah, I don't know. 
I'm trying to think about the concept of self-hate. I don't know that I felt that so much as just deeply flawed. Like, if you actually knew me, you couldn't possibly like me. So I don't mm. even know that I could hate myself. It was more like this, I have to conceal who I actually am because it's so unlovable at the core. Okay. Which is, it's really sad. But, but that's what I was feeling. Of course, I had uh, self-criticism and self-hate about certain aspects, but like deeper than that, I felt something was deeply, deeply wrong with me and I had to hide it. And so um, in The Worthy Mind... You mm -hmm. do you do begin to talk about sort of what lies beneath the behaviors that people tend to see when they are not feeling worthy. Um, yes. And so, can you talk more about how this how the self becomes lost and and why we would then serve the the image of ourselves versus our actual selves? Yes. So just to help listeners understand the difference between the two books, The Worthy Project really comes at behavior and it teaches you how to change tiny little steps of behavior in order to build worth. And so it's kind of hijacking the cognitive. What I found was there was no pretty thought I could ever give myself to make myself feel good about me. Like mm -hmm. there was just no way around it. It was this sticky swamp that I could just never get rid of through trying to have mantras or beliefs or anything like this. But right. you change your behavior, things radically change because you start getting this feedback of, of learning how to behave differently in certain situations. So that's the Worthy Project's about that. The Worthy Mind is about what happened in your mind where you lost access really to this true self and and how did you lose access and how do you get back that access so so i try i talk about it being the lost self uh, if you're familiar with jungian psychology it's really that it's, it's the shadow it's working with these aspects that you deemed painful so you push them into the shadow and you try to not be that and so really that work is about bringing up all the dark stuff, all the characteristics you don't like about yourself or that you learned not to be or that you have learned are bad and trying to, as best as you can, neutralize them, bring them to light and own and, and, and reclaim that part and see it as necessary. And see it as necessary. Can you say more about that? even the dark things. Yeah. It's necessary because if you think about it, whether we're talking the money metaphor of trying to build worth through spending less of yourself and earning back more or keeping more of yourself so that you build worth that way, um, this is a way to collect more self. So you collect all those aspects that you thought were bad. So say, you've been told that being an introvert is bad and you should not be that. You shouldn't be shy. You shouldn't be insecure. So you try to act like you're really extroverted or you try to at least hide the fact that you might be shy or insecure mm -hmm. because you've been told that's not good somewhere along the line or you've learned it's not good or it's not effective. 
So it's about going, well, I am an introvert. I like the fact that I'm an introvert. It helps me in this way. Losing touch with that part of me has actually hurt me uh, and, and really spelling it out and how it's hurt you. And, and that's the work in that book is to look at these aspects as necessary pieces of a puzzle that are actually running the show more than you realize. And right. so bringing them to light is really important. Yeah, you say um, in the in the Worthy Project, I just want to say to everybody, these books really um, go very well together. Um, and so you say in there, your stories and beliefs matter. Yes. So, yes. yeah. And they shape who you are. They shape how you act. Exactly. So. And and often, I mean, I feel like either they're, they're formed early in our lives um, when you know, we're born a certain way. And until we learn to not feel okay about ourselves, I think generally we feel pretty okay about ourselves. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, until we're taught that our bodies aren't right, or we're not, you know, pretty enough, or we don't meet whatever standard. I, I think we're somewhat oblivious to that when we're kids, we're just, we're sort of kids and we feel okay. And, and often yeah, I would we're, say we're told to be different. Right. That's true if you're lucky enough to have parents that are really caring for you. Um, there's a lot of people that are born into abuse. I was definitely one of them. I did not have that growing up. I never felt okay growing up. I, not Never? Not I even like an being, early memory? No. Nothing? Oh, wow. No. I can remember being four years old, sitting in Sunday school, looking down at my thighs, and they were squishing out in the chair. And I remember pulling my dress down so that nobody could see it. At four, four, yes. And do you know yes. how that so, got? In, do you know how that got in there? How that got in oh, your? Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay, <laughs> it's called mommy. <laughs> okay, so your mom, your mom <laughs> said something to you about your size or your thighs. I or think her. Like that, or... She said something about her own, and okay. I, I learned that big thighs are bad, right. and I did not want anybody to see that my thighs would squish out. Right. You know, and also how, how being dare you have not pretty thighs. was bad. Right. Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. I, I would sit in, in, in that little Sunday school class and like lift my legs up and hold them up so that nobody would see that they would squish out. That they would I squish thought out. that was wrong. I mean, these things start early. Mm -hmm. and, and even if you didn't have a parent that was actually telling you directly this, if you grew up with a parent who was using these types of scripts about themselves or people around them, you pick it up. Well, indeed, I picked it up um, just from, you know, my my era um, It was mm -hmm. the 70s. And so, of course, you know, women mm -hmm. were viewed a particular way and at least white women were, you know, there was a certain standard of beauty applied and it was particularly thin um, mm -hmm. back then. And, you know, my dad is was wonderful and had many wonderful qualities. And he also had pretty strong opinions about women and what made women attractive and what made women unattractive. Mm -hmm. um, and those, I mean, I internalized those like they were the gospel truth um, <laughs> and, mm -hmm. and proceeded to chase the right thinness and the right level of beauty my entire life. I mean, not I've let go of it these last couple of years, but I mean, the number of cosmetic procedures I had and 
like, so like you're talking about the, you know, being four and having, you know, holding your legs up. I was an adult at this time, but I remember um, my partner wanted to go out and listen, listen to some music. We lived in Seattle. So it was music scene Mm -hmm. and he wanted to go to something. And um, I had eaten a big salad. I had a big salad for dinner and my, my -hmm. belly was, I called it salad belly just because it was Mm -hmm. a big salad. Mm -hmm. And so my belly Mm -hmm. was kind of pooching out a little bit. And I literally sat in this cafe and it didn't matter that everybody around me looked, you know, like they just rolled out of bed, frankly. Um, okay. Because mm-hmm. Seattle's just not a very formal place. Um, I literally sat there and sucked my stomach in and 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 thought, I wonder if I wonder if anybody can see that that I have yeah. like my, I have salad belly. I mean, I was right. I was conscious of my body in the same yeah. way that you described my pretty much my whole life. And so when my weight would go up, it gnawed at me all day long no matter what i was doing there was a voice that said you're too fat you're too fat you're too fat you're mm-hmm. too fat mhm so did you resonate with that part of the worthy mind i gave my uh my breakdown of thin <laughs> and my uh, battle with thin the uh, word thin <laughs> <laughs> very much so because i mean i've been chasing thin and i've had disordered mm-hmm. eating since i was 10 mm-hmm. and um, had bulimia for 10 years. I mean, uh, oh, the, thank you. The, the, really the horror, um, that I've gone through simply to try to get the right body as if that Mm -hmm. was somehow gonna make me valuable, acceptable enough. Yeah. Oh, that is an excellent example of the idealized image because that is a body that doesn't exist and it's almost this carrot that will keep continuing out in front of you because we're getting older or whatever all the time like it's not attainable ever and even if you do attain it then you eat a salad and then it's all in trouble (laughs) well exactly and we're supposed to age we're supposed to be Mm -hmm. wrinkled with stuff supposed to droop and something has happened i mean of course we got images when we were young in various ways but also this current society that we live in. Um, I mean, you're just not supposed to age at all if you believe the messages that we see in the media. Yeah, I don't. I I <laughs> don't anymore. I'm good with it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I actually see age is so beautiful and I'm I'm glad that I do. I, I feel lucky that I do. Well, I feel so. lucky now. I feel like mm-hmm. even though I spent, you know, 15 years getting surgery. Um, I've had major surgeries and lots of injections and lots of peels and Mm -hmm. lasers and ultrasonic therapy and all these things, Um, you know, having expended so much of myself, not just in money, but in pain Mm -hmm. and hiding, hiding when you're bruised and swollen and sutured. And I mean, it was a whole, yeah. it was a whole version of self-harm really, in addition to- It is. Yeah. Chase, I just paid people thousands of dollars to do it to me instead of sort of cutting myself. Mm-hmm. I paid for someone else to do it, but it also was so closely tied into the idealized image. And then also so tied into wanting to be seen as valuable, particularly by men. Yeah, absolutely. I, I know that one. Mm-hmm. I know that one. So, so what snapped you out of that? If I can ask. Um, 
Well, um, I did, I did identify that, um, you know, I just, I call it self-hate because one mm-hmm. of the books I read that really resonated with me, it just, it really, it was as if I, it was written for me. I was just all over mm-hmm. its pages. And the self-hate is really described not as, it's not really coming from you. It's like an interloper. Mm-hmm. It's like this intrusive mm-hmm. entity that comes in and trash talks you, you know, constantly, mm-hmm. but it you believe it because it, it came early on and you've been cultivating it uh, ever since. You've been feeding and watering and cultivating it ever since. And mm. when I realized that really everything that I believed that was driving this perfectionism was a lie, like <laughs> a literal, just a big yeah. pack of lies, I I was sort of shocked. And the first thing I did was I went to my cosmetic dermatologist who I had a long-term relationship with at this point. <laughs> uh, I did. I mean, we were kind of friend, friendly and, you know, we were the same age and so forth. And so I went in with this proclamation that, that, that the, so here was my, my half step. My half step was, mm. okay, I know we've been talking, we've always talked about a facelift and what I could do to kind of put off the facelift, but I'm not, I'm not doing a facelift. So you know, I can allocate five grand a year. And so I just need you to kind of think about what you could do for me. This is when I was still have mm-hmm. my, my, my job that was paying me um, a nice salary. Uh, I said, okay. well, you, you know, think about what you could kind of do for me for that. Um, and then uh, fast forward probably another year. And mm-hmm. I went in and, and said, um, yeah, no, I absolutely not. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so it was so really some, uh, that's worthy. a pretty it major shift. Work. Oh, good, massive. Major I mean, I'm shift. I'm yeah. two years. I'm two years off, and the filler's yeah. almost gone, and I'm getting wrinkles, yeah. and I'm letting my gray hair come in, and just like you talked about, I'm kind of excited yeah. about it, and I think yeah. because I've ex- I think because I overspent so much that yeah. I'm happy to not spend pretty much anything, hardly. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I'm with you. <laughs> I'm with you on that. I think it's just, it's, it's a beautiful way to, to meet yourself. Indeed. Um, so we're going to take another quick break. And then there's a couple of concepts um, in The Worthy Mind you that I want to be sure we touch on. The codependence and emotional vampires, I think, is mm. really fascinating, as well as boundaries, which kind of go along with that, I think. Our Mm -hmm. listeners would probably um, really benefit from us chatting about that. Great. All right. So um, you're listening to Freedom for Humans, and we will be right back. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. 
Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Connect with us, and we'll connect with you. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is on LinkedIn. Get the first word about happenings with the network, where our next live event will be, and what's up with our hosts. Look up Voice America on LinkedIn. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to Giraffe Tango Octopus, Freedom for Humans. Have your own story or have questions for Kirsten or her guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5788. That's 866-472-5788. Now back to the show. Welcome back to Freedom for Humans. This is Kirsten, your host, and we're here with Meadow DeBoer. And before the break, we just started to talk a bit about um, codependence and emotional vampires. And one of the things, cause I, I have some of that in my history, mostly the codependence, but what I found really interesting is that you said, um, codependence and emotional vampires basically have the same goal, which is why they tend to be attracted to each other. Can they you talk have, a bit yeah, about, they have the yeah. same problem same and problem. two different motives for solving that problem, I would say. Okay. But yes, they're similar. And so even if you resonate mostly with codependency and not emotional vampirism or whatever the word would be, um, you might act like this sometimes. So um, both of them are missing a huge portion of self. And so codependency is typically looking for someone else to give you a sense of self. And so you might serve them, you might give them narcissistic supply, you might, you know, submit, be the submissive, whatever that is, adore them, follow them around, you do the things, you serve them in some capacity. And that gives you a sense of self. On the other hand, and I like the word vampire for this because I, I can't clinically diagnose narcissism or by right. you know, a borderline or, or anything borderline. like that. Yeah. But I, uh, you know, a lot of this is going to be on that spectrum to some degree. Um, but if you just think about it as a vampire that needs your something to live, um, they typically need supply of self. So as the codependent is giving supply of self to feel whole, the vampire is taking supply of self to feel whole. Right. So both don't feel whole both don't have a solid sense of self. Exactly. So um, I'll just give, I'll just give you an example, give everyone an example. It's, it's pretty personal, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you anyway. So I had cancer in 2011 and I had uh, pelvic radiation in order to mm. treat it, which, you know, has a real impact um, on a person, particularly a woman, and it can make having um, intercourse painful. Um, and I worked for like 10 years to recover my sexual health. But um, during that time, 
you know, I was with the same partner throughout. So I was with the, that partner prior to the cancer um, about for about five years and then um, for almost a decade post. And um, I made myself in order to meet his needs, have sex mm-hmm. with him five times a week. Yeah. And when you get treated for cancer in that way, not only is it painful to have sex, but you're in menopause and you don't really mm-hmm. have, you know, the same kind of natural libido. And so mm-hmm. when it would come, when it would like, when I would start to break um, mm-hmm. from it, I would say, what about me? What about me? Don't I matter? And, mm-hmm. and he would say, you matter. But there was never any coming toward me, really. I mean, we did go down to four, mm-hmm. but but I always knew that it. <laughs> no, yeah, I know, right? That's such a sacrifice. I, well, but, and, and, but but from the other person acted like it was mm-hmm. the most devastating thing ever, mm-hmm. and so I constantly mm-hmm. was hurting. I was hurting mm-hmm. physically and spiritually, mm-hmm. never feeling enough but just forcing myself to to do it so I could be the right partner so that I wouldn't get betrayed and left. Oh, that's oh, heartbreaking, man. And it didn't work. No, it, <laughs> it didn't, didn't work. work. Right? No, <laughs> of course not. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Dang. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you, if you look at that and strip away what you were like strip away the specifics of that, but mm-hmm. look at it in terms of a person that doesn't feel whole and thinks if I perform X, Y, Z and, and, and fill you up, give yes. you what you want, that yes. will, that will satisfy this thing inside of me as well. So it is, you need two people to make this happen. Um, exactly. Well, I thought, because, you know, most people that don't have this problem, they don't do that. Well, they would never even be in that relationship, right? Exactly. And when, when, yeah. when I would sort of get that feedback, like, oh my God, I can't, like, I can't believe you're no, doing yeah. that. I would think I would do, well, I would do something that is so much a recipe for disaster, which is I would compare, I would compare, mm. I would say, mm-hmm. well, I look around and I see these other relationships and they don't really have anything that I, that I'm looking for. And I think, well, this isn't that much of a sacrifice. It's just more intimacy and sex than I really want to be having. Is that so bad? So, I mean, comparison is just, it's just always such a um, mind pluck, really. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I know. Well, and you do that to try to normalize your own behavior, or you do that to try to justify exactly your behavior instead of going. Oh, yeah, and, and it's interesting because, I, I mean, I, I I did this plenty. I, I was married for a long time to somebody that was not good, um, and I was complicit in the fantasy of making him feel good about himself. So Mm -hmm. I I definitely see my part in that. Like it's, it's my job to make you feel good. Yes. Right. In all ways. Well, yeah. And then if, and then if, you know, on the very rare occasion that I just couldn't 
do it. And he was expecting Mm -hmm. it. I mean, he was clearly so disappointed that I just felt like crap. So I couldn't, Mm -hmm. you know, I wasn't able to, I want to talk a little bit about boundaries before I run out of time, because Mm -hmm. I just wasn't able to feel like I was enough or to feel like even safe in the relationship to say, no, I don't know. That's too much for me. I don't want to do that. Well, the key words are safe in the relationship. Sometimes there, there's no such thing as safe in a relationship. The only safety that you have is to leave it and really leave, like really go no contact, leave. That's what I did. Yeah. Yeah. After going, after going to therapy, after trying to have a friendship, you know, all the things that we sometimes yeah. oh, do because yeah. we're losing our best friend and like we're losing this yeah. future that we thought we had and all this. And I was mm-hmm. just shown a number of times that there was only pain left for me um, mm-hmm. in that situation. So I I went no contact and I have no contact. And then I was able to really start to begin to heal. Yeah, Absolutely. So boundaries. Mm-hmm. Boundaries. Oof. What do you think your listeners would want to hear or, or well, need to hear? Well, I'm going to look at my notes here. And I wrote down, boundaries are difficult and acceptance feels conditional. Um, and so I, I also wrote down, you can feel like a possession instead of a partner. And you feel like no mm-hmm. amount of of anything will ever really satisfy them. And so it's, it's scary to set a boundary, I think, particularly if you begin to do your worthy work. And um, I think it's Martha Beck that says the culture of your relationships will begin to change. Because, right, which happened to me very much, people's eyes got wide and were like, who, who exactly are you? We, We don't know this person. So setting a boundary with somebody who's already in your life, who's not used to having a boundary set, um, can be quite uh, scary and difficult. And so can you talk a little bit about how a person can work through that? Yeah. Uh, First, you have to understand what a boundary is. A boundary is just a clear communication of who you are. That is all it is what works for you, what doesn't work for you. It's not telling somebody what to do. It's not giving them consequences for their actions. So it, it, it's not what pop culture kind of says it is. So boundary might be, uh, you know, I, um, I'm eating this certain way, or I go to bed at this certain time, or I, uh, don't watch scary movies because of past trauma, you know, something like that, that mm-hmm. all of those things can be boundaries and, and actually are boundaries. And they're just this soft communication about what's true for you. And I think so, what you say that's so important there is it's not about telling the other person to change, to yes, do, to be different, right. which I think sometimes is what we think it is. Well, that's what people do, and that does not work. Right. Well, I really need you to do this. I really need you to do that. I really, it. I really don't want you to say X, Y, Z. I hate it when you come in the kitchen with a bad mood. You know those kind of things. Mm -hmm. That's not a boundary. That's just complaining. That goes nowhere. So a boundary is: this is me. I'm showing up as me. I'm telling you who I am. 
um, and what works well for me, maybe even why it works well for me. And then you wait and you see the reaction, you see the feedback, you see whether they acknowledge it or not. And that is when you change course. They either honor it and you're like, okay, we're going towards each other Mm -hmm. where they don't honor it or start to punish you or start to act like a victim or do their whole routine. And that's when you have to start moving away and you move your own literal body away. Interesting. I, I, I really like the part where you say it's, it's you change. So once you've stated what, what your boundary is ultimately, because you're Mm -hmm. stating what, Mm -hmm. what, what you need. Yes. Not, yeah. I mean, basically, like just as it that easy, I don't, I don't want to watch horror shows because I have past trauma. I don't like horror shows because mm-hmm. I have past trauma. And mm-hmm. then you go on a date with someone who's like, so we're going to this horror show. <laughs> that means you move away. That's right. a no go. That's mm-hmm. not, that's not a person who's honoring your boundaries. And, and it's very soft because if you show up, and they don't honor it, you, you're the one that has to read that sign mm-hmm. and, and clear feedback. Like you, but it's not like, I told you I don't do horror movies. And that's what people think boundaries are. And that is not it. Oh, right. So you say, then you change your behavior. So once you've stated yeah. your boundary, if it's breached or not respected, yeah. you, don't, you don't keep pushing on it. You don't it go into say, that movie. You don't go into the movie, but you also don't keep pushing on it and say, I've, you know, I've told you this, you're not listening to me. Right. Why don't you listen? You know, right. so that's normally right. right how the conflict Right, because starts. that's you trying to change another person, which, right. good luck. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> good <it's>, luck. <laughs> well, it's a, it's a project to just make some changes to ourselves. I mean, right, much less, right. my goodness, we can't do a thing about anybody else. Yeah. And you don't have to make a big deal out of it. You could just simply say, hey, remember I told you I don't do horror movies, so I'm going to sit this one out. Mm-hmm. It's just like that. Mm-hmm. And then you watch that because there was another boundary and you watch what they do then. And then you said, it. you know, they either explode, they try to manipulate, they guilt, or they honor it. Mm-hmm. But, But that's kind of like... If you just contain yourself within your own little circle and watch their behavior, you'll get really, really clear feedback. Do they actually want to know me? Mm-hmm. And and do and because did I show up for one? Did did I tell the truth? And and are they respecting that? They don't even have to agree with it, but do are they hearing me? Right, right. So we we're just about at the end. It always goes so fast. Um, Meadow, do you want to talk about any, anything that you have coming up or is there anything you'd like to tell our listeners about? Sure. If you, um, I have found that, um, I, I went through a pretty significant burnout. I talk about it a little bit in the worthy mind and my latest kind of research and work that I'm doing is is kind of linking the idea of burnout and mm. worthlessness and, wow. and seeing that they're basically the same thing. We're, burnout comes from uh, not having solid sense of self-worth. So I, um, I started a podcast called Well Done, and it's about burnout. 
and it's uh, it's about how uh, to use self worth as a way out of burnout and how to heal. So that's that's kind of my newest project right now. Awesome. So um, everybody, please check that out, and you can find Meadow at meadowdevore.com. Um, yeah. Love yourself, free yourself, be yourself, and dance your own tango. Thanks for listening to today's episode. We hope we have helped you learn to love yourself unconditionally and accept and celebrate everything that makes you, you. Tune in next Wednesday for another episode. And in the meantime, dance your own tango.